And so go ahead and turn to Matthew 5. Turn to Matthew 5. I'm going to go ahead and give you a couple more verses to turn to. I think it will save time a little bit later in the teaching. So turn to Matthew 5, Exodus 20, Proverbs 7. Okay, if you can remember that. If not, write it down real quick. Exodus 5. I'm sorry, uh, Matthew 5, Exodus 20, Proverbs 7. While you're turning there, remember that Jesus is trying to clear the air on some, uh, some pretty bad interpretations of, of God's law that the Pharisees and uh, religious leaders had been teaching for a very long time. And um, uh, last, well, I guess it wasn't last week, a few weeks ago, we talked about how the ancients said, do not murder. Um, they said, do not literally, physically kill somebody but how Jesus made it clear that any lack of grace towards someone that would cause us to be offended with them, any lack of grace that we would show someone that would cause us to be offended with them, to harbor offense to them, will affect our spirit. And when it affects our spirit, what it's going to do is going to interrupt a heart of love for that person. And as soon as a heart for love is inter- interrupted on someone, then we're, we're not even walking in the new covenant because uh, love God, love others. Jesus said to love one another. And so anyway, we talked about that. And there's actually five uh, examples um, that we're going to look at. This will be, I guess, the second one tonight that we're going to look at are these shallow interpretations that the Pharisees and the religious leaders were given um, of God's uh, law. And, and real quick, just, just to kind of preface today, it really prefaces all of this, really prefaces everything. But write this real quick at the top of your notes or somewhere in your Bible. God's law is God's heart. Okay, when we talk about the law, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, when we talk about whatever, we're talking about God's heart. It's not just these things that are out there to control people or whatever. These laws um, indicate God's heart. Uh, it's like when I place boundaries on my kids. I don't, I don't place boundaries on my kids so that they don't enjoy Life, I place boundaries on my kids so that they will have a life to enjoy. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? I don't know uh, if you knew this, but I have three sons, and these guys can be crazy, the things that they do. And if I don't put boundaries on them, they will be jumping off the roof, you know, with a nosedive, you know, thinking that somehow they can go to China or something through the earth. I don't know. They're just crazy. And so you have to put these boundaries on them. A good example of that is uh, when my kids are doing donuts on this new golf cart that someone gave us. Somebody gave us a golf cart, and so now we have this golf cart that speeds through the yard. Okay, so they're riding this go-kart, and they prefer riding in circles. Some might call those donuts, okay? So they'll do donuts in this golf cart, and there's usually more than one, one, maybe two, and then one's driving, people hanging off the little thing that has a little uh, sun cover on it, hanging off of it while it's doing donuts, which means their, air, their feet are in the air going like this, swinging around and around and around. Now, I gotta admit, I look at that, and I think, that looks fun. You know, um, move over. I want to try that, although it'd probably stall out that little golf cart. Um, but then there's another part of me, because of a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of experience, um, that says, you know what, I need to put a boundary on there. I can remember when I was nine years old getting stuck up under a three-wheeler. How many of you have been stuck up under a three-wheeler or a four-wheeler for doing something very similar that my boys were doing? Or you can recall stories of kids that literally have lost their lives doing something very similar to what my boys were doing. Well, since I don't want my kids to lose their life, let me say that again, since I don't want my children to lose their lives, I speak up. And I put boundaries on their activities. You guys hear what I'm saying? And in case that doesn't sound familiar, 
you know? And, 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 and even on that, you think, first of all, you think boundaries and you think, oh, man, I just, I just hate that. Listen, I'm not, even, I'm not telling my kids not to have fun. It's not like I look out and go, yeah, hey, y'all, stop having fun. That's ridiculous. It's not like I'm saying that. I'm not even saying don't ride the golf cart. Honestly, I'm not even saying don't go as fast as you can. I don't mind if they go as fast as you can. The only boundary I'm putting on them is just please stay inside the car. <laughs> you know, that's all I'm asking. You can go as fast as you want. Just stay in the car. Okay? But in case that doesn't sound familiar, think about the garden when God said, you know what, you can eat from any tree in this garden except for that one, except for the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He didn't say don't eat. He didn't say, um, don't eat from a tree. In fact, he said, eat all you want. Eat up. Eat from any tree that you want to. Other, and you, we always get the idea there are like five or six, maybe seven trees, and they just couldn't eat from that one. Dude, we're probably talking about hundreds and thousands of trees. And God said, just, just that one. Don't eat from that one. And it's because God knew what it would do to them. It would cause a condition that will bring about a separation from God and his people. In fact, if you, if you would, write this down. Sin causes a condition that puts a separation between us and God. And he knows that, so he's willing uh, to set boundaries. He wants to set boundaries. He doesn't want to be separated from us. In fact, let me go ahead and introduce tonight's text by giving you my first point. Okay. Now, before I give you my first point, um, especially in case you're visiting... Um, I want you to know that we are, we are literally going through the Sermon on the Mount. And so where we're at tonight is just where we're at. And if you're here, I'm trusting in God's sovereignty that you are here because you either need to hear this personally or you know someone that needs to hear this personally to be encouraged and equipped. Okay. So my first point tonight is, as we are where God wants us in Scripture, is this. Lust is a sin. Okay. So go ahead and write that in there. Lust is a sin. If you look at Matthew 5, verse 27, it says, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, and really, anybody who was listening, there was a huge crowd of people up there while he was teaching. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, and I'm going to stop right there and say, what is you shall not commit adultery? What is that? It's a commandment. In fact, it's the seventh commandment of the ten commandments it's number seven let me ask you this what are these ten commandments i don't know if you've ever narrowed that down to a definition in your heart and your mind but what are the ten commandments we don't hear a lot about them anymore because we take them out of school we don't want to talk about them let's get them out of us you know but what are the ten commandments let me give you a good definition the ten commandments are the foundation of the standard of life that god is calling his people to live Okay, it's the foundations. Okay, all other smaller laws, smaller standards, um, smaller things that we might read about through, you know, uh, the, especially the first five books of the Bible, all of those things somehow can be linked back to the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments are a foundation for the life, the standard of life that God wants us to live. Let me ask you one more question What happens if those laws are not kept? I think the people that were hearing that the day that. Moses came down from the, from the mountain. Go ahead and turn to Exodus 20. They were thinking the same thing. Well, what happens if we don't, if we don't um, adhere to these laws? Okay, so in Exodus 20, it's one of the places that you'll find the Ten Commandments. Gives the Ten Commandments. And then if you look at verse 20, Moses talks to the people and he says this. This is Exodus 20, verse 20. 
Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you. In other words, to bring you his, uh, to bring you his standard upon you, to put his standard upon you in order that the fear of him may remain in you. Now, why does he want the fear of him to remain in his people? Well, fortunately, it goes on to tell us the very next thing. So that you may not sin. Okay, this is like the very first standardized testing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that you may not Sin. Okay, so if you think about it, Moses is telling the people that these ten commandments, any behavior that doesn't fall in line with these ten standards, these ten commandments, is considered sin. If you're familiar with Romans, if you're familiar with uh, the Apostle Paul and his writings, in chapter 3 it says that the law, the way he says it, is that the law brings about the knowledge of sin. In other words, we look at the law and we say, oh, that's the standard. Anything less than that standard would be considered sin. So that law points out that the things that, that do not adhere to that law would be called sinful. Paul says it that way. Let me say another thing. Um, most of us are familiar with this scripture in Isaiah, but the prophet Isaiah, God was speaking through him to the people, and God gave a really big picture. It's like one of the most important things for us to hear in the Bible. It's in Isaiah 59. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. It says, and this is God speaking through Isaiah to the people, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. Now, this is an intense verse. I want to break down two words. The first one is iniquities. You look that up, and really in that language, it means a couple of things. It means um, to be crooked, and it means to miss. Okay? It means that something is crooked. Where it should be straight, it's, it's, it's crooked. It has an iniquity. It should be straight, but it's crooked. Or it means to miss. There is, a, there is a target. There is something that should be hit, but that target has been missed. Okay? So when something is crooked, that means it is an iniquity, and it makes a separation between us and God. In fact, I made this little picture today. Is it up there? Can you put? Yeah. See this? It looks like a lightsaber. It's not a lightsaber. Sorry, we were watching Star Wars earlier. Okay, anyway. So if you look at the bright little lightsaber, picture that as God, okay? That's the direction, that's the way that God wants us to be, straight as a board, just light and straight. And, but if you can see the little line beside us, that's, that's the black line, okay? For one, we're small, and, you know, compared to the Lord, we're basically like dark, okay? Okay, that's where God wants us. He wants us lined up right beside Him, touching Him, okay? That would be righteousness. That's where He wants us, okay? Let's show this other thing. This is called iniquity. This is iniquity. This is when we're going with God. It's not like we hate Him. We're going with God, but there are times when we veer off. Okay? We get crooked. Our behavior, our thoughts, our things, they, they, um, it's not like we're away from God. We don't love God. We're not pursuing God. We don't, you know, all this. But there are times when there are points of, of sin. There are things in our life that cause us these little brief separations. Now, those brief separations can be turn, on, turn into long separations, can't they? Some of us, of us have experienced that. But most of us just have these little, maybe it's a daily bout, maybe it's a monthly bout, these little things that cause us to be separated from God, even if it's for a moment. Who wants to be separated from God even for a moment, right? For a moment. But that's what iniquity is, okay? Just to, to keep that, that right there is a picture of iniquity, okay? And then sin, basically, to define that is it, um, it comes from a word that means to miss, like missing the target, um, as well, but really, the word that's used here is offensive. Okay, so you get this idea that's not just um, when you forget or you're, you know, you're just 
oh, I, I just can't be perfect, and God just doesn't love me. Listen, more than anything, this is talking about someone who is purposely making these little, you hear what I'm saying? It's a little bit like a little lax in their pursuit of the Lord. It's like, I'm not even really trying that hard. I had the option to say no to this or that, but I didn't. Well, that, and, and any behavior that doesn't line up with God is offensive to his heart, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But this is, I believe, especially talking about someone that is on purpose taking advantage of the grace of the Lord over and over and over. Can I get an amen? Okay, so just to clarify that. Now listen, this is the very thing, whether it's the iniquity or um, you know, turning his ear from us, those are the very things that God wants to prevent in our life. And that's why he set up these laws. In his great wisdom, in his vast experience over the ages, his experience is that these things will put a separation between himself and his disciples. And he doesn't want any kind of separation, whether it's a long-term or a little stair-stepped. Um, small interval separations. He doesn't want that. I think the mistake that the Pharisees made in their interpretations uh, was limiting God's heart to an external thing, to external behavior, which seemed to be their specialty, right? Focus on what is seen. That's what Jesus was getting onto them all the time about. But God's heart for you shall not commit adultery went way deeper, Okay? His heart was, was to go into the things unseen, to the internal. The Pharisees might have been focusing on the external, but Jesus is saying, let's focus on the internal because that's what God is, is wanting to talk about. Remember what uh, God told Samuel when he went to the house of Jesse and he was looking for the next king of Israel. He said, um, man looks differently uh, at the heart of man. God sees what's... Well, how does he say it? I just totally botched that. He says, God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's why Jesus keeps bringing this up and is wanting to help them understand the true interpretation of God's law didn't just exist around this external behavior, but went down into the internal, that which is unseen. And so if, if adultery is a sin that offends... Listen to me close here. If adultery is a sin that offends the heart of God, and lust is an internal form of that offense, then lust is a sin. Can I get an amen? Okay? I don't want there to be confusion on that because I think there are some that would say, no, 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 Tony, you're, you're totally missing it. See, lust is a desire that we all have. We can't even help it. Okay? We just have these lustful thoughts. We just have these lustful desires. We have these desires in our heart. No. Listen to me, that's called a libido, <laughs> all right, people? That is called a sexual craving. And, you know, uh, the Greeks called it eros. Seriously, the Greeks called it eros, E-R-O-S. And that is basically the erotic sexual desires that God put in us but made the appropriate provision for them to be fulfilled in a righteous way. And that's marriage. And, and in case there's not any clarity on that in your head and in your heart, let me be clear. When I say marriage, I'm talking about marriage between a husband and a wife. Not a husband and a husband. Not a wife and a wife. But a husband and a wife. That is the provision that God made to satisfy that eros that is inside of us. That desire for um, intimate, sexual, erotic, however you want to say it. It's a real thing, so let's all be honest. You hear what I'm saying? It's a, it's a thing that God gave us. In fact, the whole 
almost the whole book of Song of Solomon in the Bible is devoted to that very subject. So you can go there and read about it. All right. So what Jesus is describing here, I want you to hear very carefully. What Jesus is describing is the pursuit of Eros love outside of those provisions. Let me say it again. The pursuit of Eros, sexual intimacy, erotic behavior, outside of the provisions that he made. There's, uh, you know, there's basically two definitions of lust that we understand. There's that general, broad understanding of lust, that it's a, an overwhelming desire or craving. Um, you know, like the people in the, in the pioneer days or the gold rush days, they had gold lust. They wanted more gold. They wanted riches. Somebody may have lust for power or whatever. We don't really use that word like that much, do we? The way we use it, and this is the way Jesus was using it, is an unrestrained, everybody say unrestrained, unrestrained. an unrestrained sexual craving. Okay? That's what lust is. So what you're saying is that when I see my beautiful wife across the room and I have this intense desire to hug and squeeze and kiss her till her eyes pop out, I'm lusting after my wife. No. What you're experiencing is a very intense, strong eros for your wife. But listen, the good news is is that God gave you permission to have those feelings. Amen? And provision through the covenant of marriage to go home and attack your wife. (laughs) Right? I love you. Give me a kiss, okay? Do you hear what I'm saying? Oh, so what you're saying is, (laughs) I should never look at another woman as long as I live. Yeah, you're saying I should never look at a man as long as I live. No, that would be impossible. Because we live with other people. We work with other people. We go to school with other people. Our eyes are going to behold someone of the opposite gender. I mean, how would the the single people even survive if they can't look at someone of the opposite sex? Right? Like, I mean, they're wanting to get married one of these days. How are they going to know? I just hope I'm in blind faith. You know? That's not how it works. (laughs) Listen, Jesus said, I say to you, That everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in their heart. I say to you that anyone who has looked at a woman or a woman who looks at a man with an unrestrained sexual craving that manifests itself through behavior or thoughts, actions or attitudes, external or internal, that person has already committed Adultery. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, let's take it a little deeper. He's talking about an unrestrained sexual craving that's directed towards someone that you have not been given the permission nor the provision to fulfill righteously. Are we, are we with this? I think this is a great topic for our culture. Do you guys? And maybe it doesn't hit you right where your, um, your iniquity is or your thing is, but maybe you know someone that it does. And God's given us the, tool to minister, the tools to minister to ourselves and to minister to our friends and families and to encourage them. You hear what I'm saying? And to speak truth because this is what Jesus is telling us. Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, the lust that he's talking about is an intense and unrestrained sexual craving toward anyone other than your husband 
or your wife. Now, this gets tough for single people. If you're single here today, raise your hand. If you have not yet been married or you are not currently married, raise your hand. Yeah, don't be embarrassed. You're like, I've been praying about this. But <laughs> Listen, here's the deal. It's tough for you. And the reason is, is because you've been given the permission by God to have those feelings. Right? He, he built you. He made you, fearfully and wonderfully made you in his image. You got those feelings. He put that eros in you. You've been given the permission to feel eros, but you've just not been given the provision yet. Do you hear what I'm saying? That makes it tough. It's tough to have that permission, but not yet have the provision, isn't it? I guess not. I guess I'm the only one that remembers those days. It's tough. You know it's tough. And in the meantime, what I would encourage you guys that are single and you ladies that are single is to stay within God's boundaries so that when he provides, you can enter into that without shame. Very important. Hugely important. In fact, there's, this, there's a scripture most people don't even know it's there because they avoid the topic of lust to begin with anyway, anything sexual. But there's a scripture in Job, chapter 31. You can write it down. I'll just read it to you. Verses 11 and 12, it says, For lust is a shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. It is a devastating fire. Listen to these words. It is a devastating fire that destroys to hell. It would wipe out everything I own. That's some pretty intense words about lust. And here's why lust is would be considered a shameful sin. Now, let me, let me stop right here and say, if you struggle with this, I'm not saying that you should feel shame. I'm, I'm about to encourage you to, um, to get out of that shame. Most people that do have those kinds of iniquities, lustful um, sins, like they walk in shame continuously. I know because I used to, okay? So I'm somewhat of an authority on this. <laughs> you know, listen to me very carefully. For the reason lust is a shameful sin is because it is something that we walk into on purpose. Lust is a sin. That's my first point. My second point is this. Lust is also a choice. Lust is a choice. Well, but that's just how I'm made. That's just how, that's just how I am. I'm just made that way. No, you were made in God's image. You were made righteously straight. Okay, then Adam and Eve came along and they put a kink in your think. Okay, they made your path crooked. But if you've been born again, then Jesus has made you straight again. So that's not who you are. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you can't say, that's just how I'm made. You can't even say that in general because God didn't make you that. But especially that if you have been born again, there's something new that has happened. There's a transaction that has taken place. You are no longer that crooked person, unless you choose to be. Some people don't like to hear that. Some people like to play a blame game on God. Well, he just keeps me there. I just, this is just God's will for my life that I struggle with this. Nope. You don't find that anywhere in Scripture. Anywhere. Everything that he pushes for you is a hope and a future, plans and a purpose for you to be righteous, and he has provided the way through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. Dog on it. Amen? Look at Proverbs 7 real quick, uh, real quick. Lust is a choice. Lust is a choice. I'm going to go through this as fast as I can. And I'm almost through. I just believe this is really important. 
If you're here tonight, I believe that you're here for a reason. And God's going to set you free if you need it. Or he will give you the tools to set someone else free in the name of Jesus. Amen? This is Proverbs 7. Okay, I'm just going to start reading. My son, keep my words and treasure my what? Commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. Why? Because when you don't keep the commandments, what happens? You die. It brings death. Okay, that separation. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. By the way, Jeremiah 31 talks about writing God's law on the tablets of your heart. And it's a prophetic picture of what Jesus would do in the Old Covenant. I will write my law on the tablet of your heart. God's finger wrote it on, um, on the stones, right? And here he's saying, write them on the tablet of your heart. Okay? Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate Friend, that's another way of say, saying you better be connected with God because understanding and wisdom only comes from God. Verse 5, that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. Now, this, you know, it keeps saying her, 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 her. Listen, adulter, adultery is a spirit, I believe. I think it's something that... that um, the enemy uses it's a, the spirit of adultery, the idea of, of pulling people away from what they are in covenant with. The bigger picture here is that God is talking about um, the adulteress who would pull us away from him. He likens Israel to an adulterous people when they would turn from him. So we're talking about the big picture and the, the, the I guess they're both big pictures, okay? But the macro and the micro here, all right? So take it from our relationship with God, but also in this day-to-day walk that we have in a, in a sensual sexual world, okay? From my window, from the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice, and I saw among the naive, and I discerned among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Now, I don't know what word your Bible uses. It could use uh, heart. It could use resolve. Basically, this definition of this word is inner man. So right now, know that this person is lacking something in his inner Man, that's what this Hebrew word means. Lacking sense means lacking um, the inner man that he needs. And in fact, it also means resolve. So this guy did not have the appropriate resolve that he needed. Is this important to know? It is. Let's keep moving. Passing through the street near her corner, in other words, near the, near the um, adulteress's house, it says, in my version, it says, he takes the way to her house. Another way of saying that is he made the choice to go that way. You guys, it's a choice. Look what it says next. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, in the darkness. <laughs> like what a terrible time to be going by an adulteress's house. <laughs> well, I mean, common sense, the inner man, if you're connected to God, should say, uh, I don't think so. That would be bad news. You guys hear what I'm saying? But he lacked the inner man that he needed. He lacked the resolve. So what did he do? nonchalantly and somewhat offensively, like we were talking about, and crookedly, he just made his way on down basically to where he wanted to go. Am I right or am I wrong? I'm right. (laughs) Okay. Anyway. And behold, a woman comes to meet him. Of course she did. Dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart, she is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. Again, this is talking about a woman, but this could just as much be a man um, towards a woman, okay? So don't, don't take offense to that. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. Of course she does. He got so close. And with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due 
to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Therefore I come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. And I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens and, uh, of Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink of our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him, which means he's going to be gone a while. He probably went to Vegas. At the full moon, he will pass. Uh, he will come home. And that's going to be a while. With her many persuasions, she entices him. Let me stop and say we live in a culture of many persuasions. We can't afford for our inner man not to be synced with God. Amen? In fact, let me just say this. When our inner man is not connected with God, our outer man will take a stroll towards death. Can I say that again? When our inner man is not connected to God, our outer man, our actions, will take a stroll towards death. In fact, when it, some of your versions may say that, that he took a stroll instead of choosing that way or took the way of, it says he strolled by her house. That's because his inner man wasn't in line. Look what it says next. Um, Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver and as a bird hastens to the snare so he does not know that it will cost him his life. It costs him his life. Now therefore, my sons, let me bring this home to you. Listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Another way of saying that is listen to my commandments. Verse 25 says, Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. In other words, don't choose that. Coincidentally, that word heart right there is the same word. It's the word leb in Hebrew that we saw up there that he lacked sense. So up there in verse whatever it was, he lacked sense. Here it's, um, don't let your heart turn aside. It's the same word. Your inner man, your resolve, where are you at internally? And here's what he says. Do not stray into her path, for many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, which is another word, way of saying hell, descending to the chambers of death. Again, the result is death. Remember what I said? God wants to put boundaries. Why? Because he wants his kids to live. He doesn't want his kids to die. Jesus himself said a couple chapters later in the Sermon on the Mount, wide or broad is the way that leads to destruction, to death. And there are many who enter through that. In other words, it's a choice. It's a choice. And not just the sin, the sin of lust, but any sin usually is, is a choice. And we instantly make that choice when we choose not to sink our inner man up to the Lord. Amen? If you're someone or you know someone that's struggling hardcore with lust and sexual sins, I encourage you, you encourage them to get your inner man synced with the Lord, to get your resolve where it needs to be, to want to be lined up with Him and to no longer choose that crooked path. He's provided the way for us to um, be healed of that, to be set free of that. That's why Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 5, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, 
throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of those parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It's your choice. Cut that off so it doesn't lead you there or not. And he goes on to say, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off, throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of those parts of your body than for your whole. He says it in two different ways, basically. It's your choice. Make the right choice. In Deuteronomy, he's talking to his people. He says, today I'm giving you the choice between a blessing and a curse or between life and, and death. Now, I'll, I'll pause right there before I give my real quick last point. It's very unfortunate and dangerous how acceptable sexual encounters, unmarried sexual encounters have become in our culture. It's very unfortunate. It's killing our gen- this next generation. Okay, it is. And I just want to encourage you guys to be people who... who um, um, allow the Lord to minister his blood shed over that iniquity, to cleanse you of that iniquity, to make the choices daily to get rid of the things that cause you to walk in lust or whatever the sin issue. Tonight's topic just happens to be lust. Get rid of it. I'm not going to go through the list of the things that you can get rid of, but if you're struggling or you know someone that's struggling and you need help or you need help helping them, hey, I've been there. I can, I can tell you lots of secrets on how to get rid of that. Amen? I'll help you. The last thing, and I'm only going to, this is only going to be brief because, man, I'm not an authority on this, and this is a very difficult topic in the Bible. But if you look at Matthew 5, one of the few places it says anything in Scripture about this, and I'm, I'm, I'm about to encourage everybody, maybe discourage you for a second, but then encourage you. It goes on to say, in verse 31, and it was said, it was also said, here's another thing that was said, Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity or adultery, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So this is a, this is a real quick snippet that Jesus gives on divorce. Again, I am not about to try to give some big thing on divorce. I will say this, and I want you to write this down because this is my third point. Divorce is a lot of things. I came from a divorced home. My mom's been divorced five times. Some of you have been divorced once, twice, you know, three times a lady. You know what I mean? Um, it's, I get it, and it's sad. It happens. It happens. And this is why, this is what I'm going to tell you about divorce tonight. Divorce, if nothing else, is a death. Divorce is a death. It's a death of a marriage. It's a death of a relationship. It's a death of a family dynamic, isn't it? It's a death. Nobody says, I'm going to get married. I, what, what, now, what we're planning, our five-year plan, was to get a divorce. Nobody says that. But it happens. And when it happens, and listen, it's, it's a death because it comes from sin. Somebody sins somewhere. Divorce never happens with nobody sinning. Okay? Could it be husband. Could it be the wife. Could it be both. There are people who say, well, it takes two to tango. Whatever. Somebody sinned, therefore, that is the reason divorce is a death. It's not God's heart. It's not what he wants. He didn't have that five-year plan for you either. The covenant that he, you made, he meant for that to happen. But it happens. Divorce happens for a variety of reasons. And it and usually is sin. That's why divorce is a death. But here's what I love about Jesus. The one who died himself. He brings things to life. Doesn't he? Some people that I know have been divorced and they can't get over it. And other people can't get over the fact that other people have been divorced. And there's judgments and there's this and that, ridicule, all kinds of things sent around. If somebody's divorced, whether well, they're this, they're this. Listen. 
God doesn't like divorce, but he also doesn't like lying. God doesn't like divorce, but he doesn't like it when we cheat on our taxes. You hear what I'm saying? So we can't say that's the one that God's kicking people around for. Divorce is a death. And it comes from sin. But I got, I've never been divorced. But I got plenty of sins in my life that the Lord has redeemed me from and brought death to life again. Amen? If you've been divorced, you know someone that's been divorced, I want to tell you right now, God loves those people. God loves you. Right? It's a death. We grieve that. I grieve when my parents got divorced. My wife grieved when her parents got divorced. Some of you come from broken homes. Some of you have been divorced. You grieve that. It's the death of a family. It's the death of a marriage. It's the death of all kinds of stuff. But let me tell you what. When our inner man connects with the Lord and we give him our life, there's only good things ahead. Yes, that was, that was not good. That was an ugly season. But here comes a beautiful season. Amen? If you're writing things, write this down, and I'll end with this. The internal sin of lust can, and since we're talking about lust, can lead to the external sin of adultery, which can lead to the death of a marriage. Not all divorce comes from adultery. A lot of times it does. A lot of times that adultery starts with... um, Things in our head, ideas, thoughts that may never manifest literally, may never be with another man or another woman, but it usually starts there. And then when we start getting into that mode, then this marriage is worth trashing. Okay, I could talk about that all day long. That's, that's not overall the point, but lust can lead to that. What I want to do tonight to